Welcome to the Thirst for More podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley, where we sit down and talk with strength coaches, personal trainers, nutritionalists, and other professionals in the fitness and strength and conditioning field to help athletes, parents, coaches, small business owners help level up their game to provide athletes and clients world-renowned success, either in the weight room, on the field, or on the platform. Enjoy today's episode. On episode 12 of the Thirst for More podcast, I sit down with Coach Todd Hammer. He's a former D1 strength coach, and he is mainly known for his time at Robert Morris, but he's also spent time at Pitt, Penn State, UNC, VCU, George Mason, Marius College, the Citadel, George Mason, and most formally, uh, the George Washington University. He's also currently the GM at Union Fitness, which is in Pittsburgh, and uh, I, I know the ex-manager there, Casey Williams, and Casey and Todd are, are good friends, and uh, we're all affiliated with the Lead FTS, so we've got a nice little circle there of powerlifting and strength coaching and knowledge. That's kind of how I got to know Todd was through Elite FTS. Uh, for those of you that don't know, me and Casey got sponsored together by Elite FTS on the same day, and Todd was one of those people that was there and um, has kind of been a mentor to Casey over the years, and I've really looked at the Todd's information that he's put out through the FTS, and he's obviously been a really well-known and very successful strength coach. Um, he's competed in powerlifting, both raw and geared. He's also done some Olympic lifting. Um, he's also presented at multiple seminars and clinics um, over various states and, and national levels. He's also been in some different print magazines. And something interesting about Todd is uh, he's a very avid reader. Um, anyone that knows me knows that I'm, I'm into that as well for my continuing education. But, I mean, Todd has just got a, a multitude of books. I know in this podcast he showed me uh, through our, our Zoom call that my reading has a long way to go compared to, to what he's been able to kind of dive into from a material standpoint. And, uh, like I said, Todd's just an incredibly knowledgeable guy. And we talk about everything from uh, communication, being a strength coach, his history, um, you know, how we, we kind of met and um, how we kind of get through some of these athletes. And he kind of also recommends his, his top books that he would read. Um, and there's some really good sources there as well, whether you are a strength coach or not. I think there's still just valuable um, lessons and good things from the books that he has presented in this current episode. So I really, really enjoyed this episode with Todd. It's It's full of information from beginning to end. And um, I, I really look forward to getting out and hanging out with Todd back at Union Fitness whenever we're able to do so post all the, the COVID stuff that we're going with. So that's episode 12 and enjoy it with my man, Todd Hammer. Hey, Todd, this is Brandon. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. You hanging in there? Uh, you know it. No complaints personally. Hope everyone else is doing well. Yeah. Yep. So I appreciate you coming on today. I want to um, let everyone know that uh, I've known you ever since I joined Elite back with Casey, and I think that was 2014, 2013, somewhere around there. Uh, that was the first time I actually met you in person and had read your stuff on Elite. So uh, I think at that time you were still at Robert Morris. Yep. Um, before you went to George Washington. Um, so go ahead and just give everybody a little bit rundown of where you've coached at, at the collegiate level, how you kind of got into the positions that you were 
we're in and, and how you managed to have success at the collegiate level. All right, I'll answer all that except the success thing is a question mark, so we'll <laughs> see where we go with that one. Um, yeah, I started back in the 90s. I was intern for Buddy Morris at the University of Pittsburgh. I got lucky because my father worked at Pitt, gave me the opportunity to work for Buddy. Um, you know, Buddy really molded me and let me understand the thing he doesn't get enough credit for is how much he cares about his athletes. And, and people talk about all the science and everything he does, but, you know, Buddy was doing Brett, what Brett Bartholomew is doing 20 years ago. Just, he also was a meathead. Right. And I don't think people appreciate that. But then I, I went up, I, I did a um, summer long um, kind of more observational work with Penn State. Uh, after that, I actually returned to the University of Pittsburgh because I didn't have anything. I took a job actually for a year in diabetes research at uh, UNC Chapel Hill, which was pretty interesting. Then I got a graduate assistant with Tim Contos at VCU. Tim is a great guy, a great friend, someone I still talk to a couple times a week. Um, you know, he took me and helped me understand things like that I didn't understand after working with Buddy, such as the CSCS is important to get because this was back in the days when no one was certified. Right. You know, and, and you know, I came in saying, why should I get it? Buddy told me I don't need it. Um, Buddy wasn't wrong, but it's not bad to get your CSCS when you're going to yeah. be a strength coach. Uh, from there, I went on as an assistant at the Citadel. Uh, I was only there about six months. Got a head job at Marist College in upstate New York. I was there for two years. I left there to become an assistant with a friend of mine who was a director at George Mason in D.C. I was there for three years. I was actually there when we went to the Final Four in men's basketball, when we oh, cool. had to uh, UConn to make it to the Final Four, which is pretty cool. We lost to Florida in the national champ that year. From there, I left. Um, I took over uh, for Tom Mislinski at Robert Morris. Uh, I'd known Tom through Buddy, and when he left, he recommended me and a couple other guys for the job, and I ended up getting the job. I went to Robert Morris. And then um, after 12 years there, uh, basically got called in the AD's office one day and me and the AD didn't really see eye to eye on much. And, uh, he wasn't even in there. HR was in there and they said, uh, your services are no longer needed. Good luck. Have a good day. So, uh, started job hunting again, ended up at George Washington university. I was only there for about a year and a half, had a good time. I enjoyed the job. I enjoyed the staff. Um, but DC's crazy, man. Yeah. And so when I got the call here, uh, to take over as general manager at Union Fitness. It was kind of a no-brainer. It was a, it's a great job. And it's a, there's so few facilities like what we offer. And, um, you know, Casey Williams was running it, and he stepped aside to set up his own businesses. And, um, you know, he had done such a great job setting it up. I'm like, I'm walking into this amazing facility that's in its third year that's, you know, turning a profit as a great staff in place. You know, Curtis Miller, I don't know how, do you, do you know Curtis? I think I've met him one time. Yeah, I mean, Curtis, you know, he should pull 800 this year. Like, he's, you know, he's no slouch. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Curtis was there as an assistant. I was able to bring in some of my own people. And um, so now I'm basically running one of the more unique facilities out there because we have a huge, we had last year 46 competitive powerlifters in the gym. Um, we also have a fitness center attached to us, which is, you know, your general pop, come in, hit the treadmill, 
where they're, you know, some people that come in and say, hey, to them, they have their headphones on, never say a word to you. Um, then we have our, what's called our cardio lab, which is kind of where a lot of our classes and yoga and that kind of stuff take place. And now we're actually finishing the touches on our performance lab, um, where we were doing some things out of the, the strength lab, but we had so many lifters back there. It was just, it was hard to compete. Uh, I'd be training a team and, you know, someone's getting ready for a 700 pound deadlift. So the whole place stops and then you, you know how that is. Um, so our performance lab is actually kind of in a building right across from us. It's only about 10 yards away where we have about, um, 3,500 square feet indoors in a garage door with, uh, leads straight out to our outdoor turf, which is 35 yards by 12 yards. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we have a great situation with that. Um, and that's going to be all personal training classes and athlete training in there. Cool. Cool. So, yeah. So that's very unique. It's a, it's a great situation. Yeah, I know. Whenever I saw Casey help putting together uh, Union Fitness, I was I was really impressed by all the people. Like you said, it's it's just incredibly unique. You don't you don't see a whole lot of uh, upscale gyms like that to be able to offer that kind of services, but also that kind of variety of services. Like you said, you got your competitive powerlifters in one area, and you got your your person on the treadmill in another, and then obviously now you're going to be adding more of the athletic component to it. So that's very unique and Casey he was so far ahead of the curve with it yeah I mean that's the, it, you know Casey, I give him so much credit because when they were building it initially they just wanted the owners of our company um, own every building around us basically and they said we want you to build a community we want people in the offices we want people in our residential buildings so a gym is an amenity and that's why we have towel service and some of the fancier things that we have in Casey, and he'll admit it, part of it was selfish. Like, hey, I want some monoliths for me. Yeah. But he also said, why not? You know, I know powerlifting, so let's just – and in his – the area of the strength lab where it all started, um, that was like an afterthought. You know, and he just said, hey, let me do some things here. And they were like, yeah, okay, sure, go ahead. Have some fun over there. So, um, you know, he, he – it was very forward thinking. Like I said, a little bit selfish because I'm sure he wanted the monoliths and the competition yeah, benches, yeah. but he set up a great situation. That's cool. So um, to kind of talk a little bit more about your your times at the the universities that you're at, you talked about Buddy Morris, and and I've already talked to to Nate Harvey. I mean, he he was in that kind of Buddy Morris <laughs> yeah. tree. Um, I've heard Buddy speak multiple times. I think anybody that's heard Buddy speak is generally a fan of what Buddy has done for strength and conditioning as a whole. He's definitely one of the the OGs, so to speak, and, and might be one of the first guys to ever truly kind of retire and walk away and have left kind of the impact he, he has. Um, kind of talk about what it's like working underneath Buddy because there there's not going to be many people that are going to get to – to say that too much longer. Um, I think he, I think he's still at Arizona Cardinals. Is he? Yeah. He, he's, he's not, you know, he's, he's getting a little long in the tooth. He's not a young man anymore. Yeah. So we'll see, uh, if he, if talk he's... about working with, with him um, at Pitt um, and, and kind of what you learned from buddy. And I know he said, he said not to get your CSCS and obviously times have changed. You can't do that no more. Um, yep. Go ahead and talk about what buddy taught you as a coach, uh, as a whole, and how you've taken that experience with Buddy to the universities that you, you kind of saw during your tenure through the collegiate ranks? Well, let me uh, – I'm going to answer your question. Let me turn on its ear a little bit. 
I I was at Learn to Train. Were you were you at the one with Ed Cohn or was that before yes, you? Yes, yep, I was at that okay. one. Yep. So it was that one. And David texted me and said, Do you mind making some uh, runs to the airport? I'm like, Yeah, sure. And I picked up John Mike and Chad Aches and all these guys and Steve Goggins and Ed Cohn. I remember him sending me these cell numbers and I was like, Text Ed Cohn, okay. And <laughs> Steve Goggins, Chad, you know, like these were these are some heavy hitters. And uh so I'm running back and forth to the airport. And the last run was Chad and John Mike. And uh, I dropped them off. And there's Ed sitting at the front desk of the hotel. And Ed says, are you hungry? And I had just eaten. But Ed Cohn was asking if I was hungry. So what's the answer? Absolutely. I'm starving. <laughs> he said, well, if you want a steak, I'm buying. And I was like, Ed Cohn's buying a steak. And so it was funny. We leave. Um, but actually, right before, he's like, give me a second. And just then I see Buddy pull up. And he was in that couple months that he was still back at Buffalo. And um, he comes rolling up and he sees me at the car and he goes, hammer. I say, hey, buddy. Actually, he's one of the few people. He calls me Todd. Todd. I say, hey, buddy. And he says, uh, I'm glad to see you worked all day. You weren't here goofing off and, you know, me and you were working. We're hard workers. And I was like, yeah, I never had heart to tell him that. I'd been there all day. I think I already had a beer. I was getting ready to go have steak with Ed Cohn. Um, but, I mean, that's his approach. He truly loves strength and conditioning. He loves researching it. He loves being the best at it. You know, he has the personality for it. And I think, you know, one of the things I learned from him, which I didn't know I learned it at that young of an age, is know what you love. And I'll be honest, I really, really, really like strength and conditioning. I don't love it anymore. And I don't say that in a negative way. I'm just, I've, I've said this to Dave about the learn, the learn to train seminars. I said, one of the downsides, and this is not putting it down. I think it's just being realistic with people is that you've been to them. Everyone goes there and they walk out so hyped up. I benched with Vincent DeCenzo and he said I could be a great bencher, right? And they're ready to take on the world but they don't know the work that's in front of them. And so the problem is I think sometimes people get unrealistic views of where they're headed as a lifter after mm -hmm. that. And um, I, I think that was one thing I learned from Buddy is like, honestly, I, he's one of the best away he does in the country. I have no desire to be him though. You know, I'm me. Um, I don't want to be the guy who rolls in after working all day, I want to be the guy going to get a steak with Ed Cohn. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, Dave always says, I want people that this is one of the top three or four things in their lives. And I say, I'm probably the outlier because this is the third or fourth most important thing to me. Um, where most people it's the first or second. So I think one of the big things I learned is perspective. You know, where are you at in your life? What are your goals in your life? What are you pushing for? And what are you willing to invest because Buddy slept on the floor at Pitt. You know, he had a, a blow-up air mattress. And because his house was an hour away and he wouldn't finish till 8 at night and we had 6 a.m. groups, he would just crash on the floor most nights. Um, that's the commitment it takes to be the best. And there's no doubt that Buddy's the best. I mean, if you say who, you know, who are the top strength coaches in the country, he's always in that conversation. So I think that, honestly, I mean, you could talk about the time, you know, this was in the 1990s. Westside was still kind of underground. You know, so I was introduced to the Westside stuff. I was introduced to Louis Simmons. I was introduced to Reverse Hyper and, and Reverse Bands. And we were doing bands and chains in the 90s. Um, 
similar to what Westside was doing. And I was introduced to those, that type of training. Um, but, uh, but like I said, I think the biggest thing was honestly perspective. Just, you know, where do you fit? What's your goals? What do you want to do with your life? And what's going to make you happy? How are you going to invest your time? And Buddy invested being the best at what he is. Um, I invest mine saying, I will be a solid B at what I do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, B, Bs do really well in life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of understand that because I know um, being with Elite, and I think it's really interesting that um, – not only that, like, I, I basically have to meet you through um, Casey at whatever Learn to Train that was, seven, I, I think, um, that uh, both of us have kind of had some hiccups in our in our powerlifting career. And while we still love what we do, we've, we've unfortunately kind of had to put powerlifting on the backside. And, um, you know, that's, that's entirely okay. And like you said, you got to be in love with it. And that's uh, ironic that you brought that up because I, I feel like at least once or twice a week, um, I, I sit down with my wife and, you know, everyone always asks me, you know, when are you going to compete next or what's, and I, I'm like, you know, I, I honestly don't know. It's not that I don't like powerlifting it anymore. I was like, I, I do. I love it. But like you said, it to really be the best. And, and Casey was in that seat with me too. We both competed at really high levels and we did it for a really good stretch there for a while while we were, we were young and we could recover and we didn't have all the stuff we have on our plates like we do now. <laughs> like now, you know, like, you know, I got a wife and we eventually want to talk about having kids and now we run a business is just like, you know, powerlifting is kind of ticked down that priority list. It's not that I don't like it anymore. It's just that, you know, powerlifting is not making my, my, my money. It gives I'm still, I'm still training hard and, and doing what I can because I thoroughly enjoy training. But if I don't get on the platform, but once a year, I'm okay with that. And if, if sometimes that's not my best performance, I'm also okay with that. It's, you know, like what more is on my plate than what I had whenever I was at my best. Okay. That's probably why. Cause I would have to drop all these other amazing things I have going on in my life, my relationship with my wife and then our business. And then, you know, we got two ridiculously fun dogs and, and that stuff just goes away. And that's not necessarily worth a couple extra pounds on the platform. And it took me some time to, to realize that. Um, so that, that's really interesting that you brought that, that perspective up that kind of, the way buddy goes all in like that. Cause yeah, he, he is man when he's at seminars and he's fired up and he gets down a rabbit hole. Like he, he does not stop and you can tell and that he, he's the best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's the best for, for a reason. And, and also, I mean, you, you said it yourself, you know, I think, um, you know, you've have a different perspective than you had at that learn to train when, cause I remember, I remember watching, I mean, you and Casey clearly stood out above everyone. And, um, you know, if, if you, if I had said to you, you know, what was that seven or eight years ago 10 yeah. years, ago, whatever yeah. it was, if I had said to you in 10 years, would you say what you're saying now? You would make, no, no yeah. way. No, no, I'd still be pushing. I'm a gas, gas. I'm hitting the gas, man. Um, and, and as you age, you grow and you mature, you say, okay, well, you know what? Powerlifting is going to be there, but if I don't build this business, I can't eat. I can't have my house and my wife. So, and I've argued and I'll say it till the end. I'll say it forever. Be having your job, being a college strength coach, having my job is not always conducive to being a great lifter. It's conducive to being good because you, mm. you do it all the time. You see it all the time, but it's not conducive to being great because one, you're going to be on your feet a lot Two, You're going to be doing it a lot. And so you're not always going to be hyped up for one side. Whereas 
the lifters who come from work that this is their two hours, they turn it on. Yeah, you know, where yeah. you're like, and I've been here 12 hours. So I don't want to squat right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's hard yeah. to squat after you've been in there 11 hours. Yeah, or even even the um, from the the business and coaching side of thing, it's like you know, you have to fit that training into the time that you have that's only available. And so some days when we're full board, for me, I'm like, hey, I got 75 minutes max. That's, yep, that's the maximum amount of time I can fit stuff in. So I got to be picky and choosing what I get where I can't, like you said, check out at five o'clock at work and go to the gym and you're there at like 545. And it's like, you know, I got two hours and maybe some change before I have to go home and take a shower, eat some food, get my stuff ready for the next day and then get my eight hours of sleep. And now I'm kind of like, I'll take a 75 minute training session and seven hours of sleep any day of the week right now. Maybe not so right now with the whole COVID stuff, but when, <laughs> I'm, in full, when I'm in full bore, yeah. um, you know, that, that 75 minutes and seven hours of sleep is a godsend some days. Um, so I guess that kind of gets me to my next question. Um, you know, you got to, I kind of mainly got to know you uh, from the Robert Morris stage. And I, I was also beneficial to know, get to know Paul, who I know you spent time with yep. uh, Paul Need. So um, talk about what you did um, at Robert Morris. Anyone that doesn't, I think anyone knows Robert Morris has not got the resources like where you were at, <laughs> like at Penn or Penn State, you know, some of these big 10 um, SEC based schools kind of talk how you were able to develop the young men and women that you were around um, and what, how, how you got the most from your coaching with the um, I don't want to say lack of resources, but not the super nice resources that you see at the, the really big time schools. Uh, smoke mirrors and lies. That was the key. Um, one, you know, I've said this all the time. One of the things I got lucky with, whether it was Paul, whether it was Ryan Horn, whether it was Ryan Nozak or any of these great coaches who happened to work for me or work with me actually. Um, is one of the pluses at being at a school like that is when you hire an intern in a GA, you can just set them free and let them coach. You know, at Penn State, you can't do that. At, at, at Kansas, you can't do that because you'll get fired. Um, so I, I don't want to say allowed, but had the ability to say to people, go coach. And so, um, you know, we would always have our GAs and then we would have five or six interns. So one of the things we would do is we would assign – an intern to each station and that way we appeared like we had a lot more coaching going on than we really did because I had undergrad interns who didn't uh, kind of mark a la Mark Watts here you know all these undergrad interns in there running around little Nick showman's of the world when he was an intern yep. helping out um, but then the ability to empower those coaches to go ahead and coach um, you know we had for the longest time one tendo unit I had won it at the CSCCA, Sornex did a grab bag thing. Like, everyone put your business card in, and we'll pick someone to win a, a Tendo unit. And I, I forgot, I, I forget, I think I just ran out of business cards. And I looked at my buddy, who was a strength coach at American. I said, Jason, give me a card. I'll just scratch your name out and put mine on it. <laughs> and I did. I remember, you know, Bird Sorn going, Todd Hammer wanted a thing. And he looks at me, like, shaking his head. I'm like, I got lucky, man. So we had one tender unit and we used to run around, you know, from rack to rack with it, you know, get that speed, get that speed, get that speed. Um, so a lot of it was smoke and mirrors. And then I think every coach, you know, necessity is a mother of invention. You have to be put in that situation where you don't have enough. You don't have enough racks. How are you going to, you know, my weight room was 1900 square feet. 
Uh, we basically had six racks, uh, four glued hams, three lap pull downs, dumbbells that were all kinds of broken. And that was pretty much my weight room. Um, so what did you have to do? Like every warm up we did was a circuit. Uh, why? Because I had to move people from point A to point B. And I've said this a thousand times. I'll say it again. You program to your facility first. If you have an endless facility, program whatever the hell you want. If you have six racks, a football team, you know, not enough dumbbells, a couple of random kettlebells in the corner, you have to program to what you have there. And one of the things I would always do in our programming is how am I going to move you from this side of the room to that side of the room as much as possible? Because I need movement in the room because I just don't have space. So, you know, we may go, our squats are going to be super set with our dumbbell floor presses today. So you're going to hit six triples on the squat and you're going to hit six sets of six on dumbbell floor press. Um, does it make sense, you know, scientifically? I don't know, that's Brian Mann. I don't know. Um, <laughs> probably not. So, you know, you have to find ways. You have to be innovative. Um, and I think it makes people better coaches. Because when I talked to, like, I just talked to Ryan Nozak today. was at DePaul. And he's doing an amazing thing with force plates and all this stuff. And I'm like, and he said it, you know, without that experience of a Robert Morris, where you don't have everything, you're trying to figure things out by the fly and you're just watching the athlete train. Um, and the other thing is, and is at the end of the day, you, and you know this cause you coach people. If you connect with that athlete, the facility starts to be less important. Yep. Because the kid will go run through a wall for you. And I've had teams that will run through a wall for me. I've had teams that probably hate my guts. Um, but, you know, you have to make that impact first and foremost. And to me, that means, you know, having conversations about life with the kid, um, going to the campus play when, you know, one of the football players is a backup in a campus play, and this is the first time he's ever done anything like that, and just watching the play a musical and be like hey man that was awesome because now all of a sudden that kid when he comes in he's going to respect and trust you a little more so to me i think there was a lot of different things that went into why we had some fun there why i think we did some decent things um you know but a lot of it was the people you know ralph petrella like i said the other guys i mentioned um i just had some awesome people that for whatever reason want to keep showing up and working for free for me so yeah by the way, Paul O'Neill and Ralph Petrola got married on the same day. Oh. <laughs> and, and they both invite me to their wedding. And I'm like, oh, my God, you guys both work for me at the same time. Both great coaches, great guys, good friends of mine. What do you, how do you pick? So we went with the guy who was not international. <laughs> Paul, we had to cross a border. Like Ralph, he, we, Ralph, we had to go to a different state. Paul, we had to go to a different country. Like, sorry, Paul. Interesting. So, um I guess that kind of brings me to this kind of point too, with the limited resources, so to speak. Um, you talk about making the connections and, and empowering your interns. Um, I, I've always been a big fan of um, all of your articles on Elite. You, you definitely have one of the better columns. I definitely think you've been having it for a long time. What would you, for the, the younger assistant based coaches that are, um, or even the kids that are looking to grab those GAs because you've been in that um, essentially that that hiring process. What do you have recommended for the the younger intern GA, maybe even that first year assistant strength coach, just kind of still trying to work their way up the ranks? Um, what do you have to say as somebody that's been in that hiring position for them to to continue to to move forward if they're either 
like you said, you've already kind of talked about this, the fact that, you know, it's kind of a carousel a little bit in the, in the yep. industry. Um, you, you don't have 100% say whether that's where you're going to stay or whether you're going to go, you kind of kind of adapt on the fly. So what do you have to say for those younger coaches that happen to be? You know, one of the, one of the pluses about college training conditioning is that you get hired because of a, who, you know, B who knows you. And I think that um, sometimes people think of that as a bad thing. I think of it as a good thing because people know you because of what you've done. Um, if you haven't done anything, no one's going to know you. But my thing is you need, you know, I tell us people all the time, get out, meet people. I, at every school I was ever at, when a strength coach had to travel, which I could get, I, I, I think it's the dumbest thing ever, strength coaches traveling, but whatever. Um, I'd say, you know, did you contact the strength coach at that school? And they would look at me like, what do you mean? I'm like, you're going to UVA tomorrow. Did you contact strength coach? I don't have his number. Did, everyone has an email in college athletics yep. and they're all listed. There's the interwebs out there. Use it. Yep. Um, get to know people. Something I did and I've, I've probably written about this, talked about this every year I would go to conferences. What I would do is I would get the printout of who's at the conference. And then after I spoke to that person, I would circle, I'd sneak off somewhere real quick, take two seconds, circle their name and write one or two words about that person. Um, you know, big Brandon dude with a beard. Okay. <laughs> but you know, it's something so that when I got back home a week later, whatever, a few days later, I look back, I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. We talked about this. I'm going to email him now and say, Hey man, really appreciate you spending a few minutes talking to me about, uh, front squats. Uh, you know, if you're ever in Pittsburgh, you have a spot to train. And every year I would send out 50 to 75 emails. And some of those people never emailed back. And then a year later, they would call me and be like, hey, one of you guys just applied for my job. I'm like, this guy never emailed me back. <laughs> um, I thought, you know, I thought you didn't like me. But people remembered it. And I think it became the, kind of this, who do you know, but who knows you? Because now people have your name, your name in front of them. And I forgot I emailed half of those people. But they remembered getting the email from me. And I think sometimes young people are afraid just to reach out. Um, and, and, and part of it too is because you hear a coach say, don't reach out and say, I want to pick your brain. Like that never bothered me, but some coaches hate that. Um, you know, reach out with a legit question. And so I think the young coaches just need to reach out, ask questions, um, be a good human being. You know, uh, I have a role. If I come to your facility and I'm going to train, I ask you what's on the menu today. It's your facility. This is your home. Um, you know, I buy the coffee, you know, just do the little things, uh, just because you're a good human being. And I think that goes a long way in getting your next job because every day is a job interview. Yeah. Every day, you know, people are going to call and be like, Hey, do you remember that, that person you had, were they good? And you're like, Oh, that guy, he came in, you know, we said, we're not squatting today. He went over by himself and squatted. Right. Okay. And then, uh, we said, we're going to get coffee and he just sat here. It's like, well, I don't like that guy. <laughs> you know, I want, I want the dude that says, you know, I was going to squat. You, man, you guys are benching. Awesome. I'm in. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe hey, you might have hit a few sets of squat afterwards. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, uh, we, so we tried to have our first um, sports performance clinic this year, which got the COVID thing shut it down, unfortunately. And I, I had some people ask me, you know, yeah, how did how did you manage to get that kind of lineup off the get go? And, and I was like, honestly, it's just, I took the time to get to know these people as people before I did coaches. 
I, yeah. I had a personal relationship with basically every single person that was going to be there. Um, the only person that had committed that I didn't have a true personal relationship was Lee Taft. Um, and I kind of lucked out that he had that day free cause he's super busy and he was all about it, but he, he was even just impressed from the people that we had. And he's like, this is a state level clinic. And I was like, yeah, this is, you know, this is kind of what I've been able to put together. I kind of wanted to get a little bit of everything. And I wanted everybody to be from the state of Indiana. I wanted to make it in the first initial go Indiana based, um, kind of give back to the whole, the whole state as a whole. Cause I know that's where we're going to be getting our, our people from. And uh, yeah. he was nice enough to be like, Hey, my normal rate, don't worry about it. You, you let me know, you pay these other people what they think they need to be paid. And then, and then I'll work with you from there because that goes to, to kind of say that, um, you know, you're trying to get a lot of information out at a, at a local level, which is, it's very hard to do, uh, you know, usually local based ones are, are scrapping for people. They'll grab a football coach from here or, you know, a, a, a smaller division three strength coach to fill a spot. And I was like, I'm just going to reach out to people that are friends and just see yeah. if they want to do it. And basically everybody was, was on board. And, and luckily we're going to have to redo it for December, but everybody's in. The only person that's not in is Lee Taft, but he's moving to Florida. So understandably, <laughs> he's not going to go from Florida to Indiana on a, a state level clinic. And I don't expect him to. Um, but that's kind of, I guess, what I kind of tell our, our interns that we have too, is just like, hey, I, I've got these people you know, if they come and visit or hang out or lift or whatever, don't, don't ask me anything. Go spend time with them because you got yeah, one yes. time to talk to them and get your face and your name recognized. Use that to your advantage because I've got the contact info. I can make sure that you can get a hold of them again. I can't make sure that they're going to be in my facility again. That's just, it's just not always. And, and you can't guarantee they'll remember you. You know, they'll remember that, 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 that young kid who was standing in the corner and didn't say anything. I remember we were at um, Junietta. Doug Smith was on one of the best clinics in the country. It was myself. It was Cam Davidson. It was Al Johnson. Al's been, you know, everywhere. Um, uh, uh, what's it? Oh, man, I'm, I'm blanking right now. I feel really bad because good dude was at Syracuse forever. I can see his face. But uh, it was like, you know, this, this – I, I can't remember who's all there, but seven Division One strength coaches. And I was, you know, in the middle of the pack of experience. So, I mean, these were some experienced coaches with some big time connections. And, um, and then I remember Cam, we're all sitting there having beer, BSing, and he looks at one of my interns and goes, why the hell haven't you said anything? Are any of these guys going to remember you? And he goes, huh? What do you mean? He's like, well, you haven't said anything. He's like, you want to get a job after this? He was like, yeah. He's like, well, you might want to speak up a little bit then, son. Yeah. And, you know, Cam, Cam can be a bit more um, aggressive than I am with that. But, you know, for those, like, it's okay. You know, I, I think sometimes we get this, like, you know, like this Tom Cruise syndrome, like Lee Taft. Oh, my God. Like, what do you say to him? Uh, you say, hi, Lee. How you doing? Yeah. Need a beer? Need a, need a coffee? Hey, uh, I saw you did this. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Or I tried. I tried. Because – yeah, throughout my career, you know, I've had conversations with really smart people. I'm like, I've tried this, and they're like, I never thought of that. And I'm looking at them like, but you're really smart. You should have thought of that. Yeah. You know, and they're like, no, I just it never. And I'm, and that makes you realize that we're all doing, we're all just doing the best best we can with the information we have. Yeah, yeah, and for for the interns too, like it's, I, I think in most cases the not like the the coaches that you happen to be around um in that any of that kind of particular situation they 
they know that you're an intern. They know that you're low on the bottom, bottom of the totem pole. They're at least in most cases are not, they're not going to like bust your chops for being the intern because they, they were in that seat at one point and yep. they, they know what it's like to be at the bottom, so to speak. And it's not bad to ask questions about in most cases than not the coach that hears you ask that question, at least he's genuinely curious. He, he wants yeah. to know something. So he's at least got an open mind where if you kind of sit there and absorb everything, it's kind of weird. And I, I guess initially, like the first couple of times I met Dave and I got the chance to talk to him, like I was initially a little bit intimidated to go talk to Dave. <laughs> Tate. Um, I didn't know that I would ever be in a running for a sponsorship with him, but I just thought that Dave knew so much more than me. And I was kind of intimidated to talk to him, but anybody that's talked to Dave, he's, he's actually relatively quiet spoken in person. Um, yeah. I, I think he, people see him on, instagram and facebook and his stuff on his website and they think he's like this really aggressive guy it's like really if you just sit down one-on-one with dave he's gonna give you no bs but he's he's gonna act like a genuine person yeah. too. he'll tell you what you should and you shouldn't do and that's the same way coaching works so absolutely and that even popping off the emails like if it goes off into cyberspace and they don't answer it, don't worry about it but that one coach probably will uh answer that email and say yeah come on by and, and even with Instagram today I mean you could probably even DM some of these other coaches and they'll probably answer I know when I was looking for speakers somebody I also reached out to which unfortunately for him he got the strength coach conditioning position at Alabama and that's coach value from Indiana um, well he was in Indiana and I reached out yeah. to him and I was like hey you know I would love to have you speak um, actually a kid that I helped with powerlifting had you as a high school strength coach when you were high school at Avon and he had nothing but good things to say about you. And, and he was pumped that you were going to Notre Dame after his senior year. And now you're IU and you're 45 minutes from me. I, I'd love to have you come talk. Let us know which time's, time's worth and all that kind of stuff. And he was totally down for it. And he's like, man, it's spring ball day. I, I can't make it. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and obviously my whole staff can't make it. But definitely let me know if, um, if there's anything else you want. And so now I'm hoping, you know, maybe at, at some point that I can go down to Alabama and at least listen to them whenever yeah. I have some kind of strength coach. But that was just through Instagram. And, you know, he was super responsive and very friendly about it. Like he didn't hold himself higher than me. And this is a guy that was interviewing for the Alabama strength and conditioning job at the time. Like most people would think those people have a huge ego, but in, in most cases they don't. I remember when I did the uh, – I did an Instagram thing with Ed Cohn and someone here wrote a question and said uh, – I don't have anyone, um, you know, to judge my technique. What do I do? And Ed said, "Why didn't you send me a DM yet?" Oh my god! I think the guy was probably taken back. Like, what do you mean? He's like, "Send me a message. I'll take a look at." Yeah. Like, I, you know, Dave says it all the time. He's like, "I'm not." I, you know, he gets so many that he doesn't necessarily answer all of them, and sometimes he just goes through and deletes them all. But you know, like Ed Cone probably does not get as many messages as people think he gets. Yeah, probably not. Because he's not out there trying to sell a business like Dave Tate is. So he's, he's just, he's Ed Cone, you know? So, I mean, reach out to people, DM and be like, Hey man, um, you know, if you have time, would you mind looking at this? And if they say, kiss my ass, you go, okay, cool. Thanks. Thanks for your time. Don't take it personally and move on. Yep. And, and I, I think people are afraid of, maybe afraid of being rejected or something. Yeah, or, that's a good point. Yeah, who um, knows? So kind of with your um, position with Union Fitness, talk about um, obviously you're going to have your hands in the – I'm sure you got plenty of employees with the size of that facility and everything you guys offer. Um, 
mainly from let's talk a little bit about the the performance lab that you're going to doing because i know you're yeah. probably gonna have to be hiring some coaches to help you out so i think that'll be a little bit more detailed because you're kind of in the thick of that so to speak what when it comes to hiring in the the private sector i know it's gonna be a little bit different for me from the collegiate what um what are you kind of looking for in your private sector coaches so to speak and not necessarily that they got their undergrad at so-and-so whatever what kind of qualities as a person are you looking at more so than the i interned here i know so-and-so from this university what are you looking at as a the non-x's and o's of strength and conditioning so to speak i have a rule um that i base everything on two words trust and respect um this has to be someone i trust and respect and it has to be someone that they're going to trust and respect me because if we can't begin with trust and respect I mean, that's any relationship, then we're just not going to have fun together and we're not going to be great together. I want, I, I want people to train. Um, I'm not the greatest lifter ever. Um, in my gym, you know, I, I'm on our B, I'm like a B minus, C plus maybe. Um, we have some really, you know, we have 46 competitive lifters and, you know, at least 10 who are you know, probably 15 or 20 who are really good lifters. Um, you know, I'll argue that, if you take our best lifters, we'll go nose to nose with most gyms in, in the world. Um, now, granted, there are some, you know, some big gyms out there, but we, we have heavy hitters. Um, I do want someone who trains. I want someone who knows what it's like to push themselves because I want them to know what it's like to help people push themselves. But at the end of the day, you know, Dave Tate said it years ago, and I'm going to steal from Dave again, is, you know, I want someone I trust around my kids. I want a good human being. And to me, uh, you know, if you're a good human being who I trust, who I respect, you trust me, you respect me, and you want to have success, like you're going to be fine in any industry because you're going to figure it out. You know, as long as you're not, you know, unintelligent. And I, I, I think intelligence just comes from curiosity. And if you trust and respect people, then you're going to be curious about people. And if you're curious about people, then you're going to help grow. So, I mean, that's the biggest thing I look for. And since I've been there, I've actually hired a few I've hired three people that I used to work in college athletics with um, and all three are doing great. And it's funny. And in all three cases, it's so different than what they've done in the past. And there's even things like I hired one guy who was a football coach and he does a lot of our fitness center stuff. So he's up at kind of front desk kind of, you know, things going on at the front desk and people love him. He loves it up there. And he's a, you know, six foot two former D D line coach, you know, 275 pounds. And, uh, you know, he, he he knows everyone's name when they walk in the door. He'll be chilling at the front desk, being, hey, Mary, what's up? Hitting the treadmill today. And so, um, you know, hire good people, and they'll work out in almost any industry. And then just figure out where they fit within your organization. The thing I'm learning right now is this is the first time in my life where I oversee people who oversee people. You know, I always had a staff, and it was like me and then staff. And now it's me, staff member, and then they have two or three people under them, me, staff. And then, so managing um, people who manage people is a whole new thing for me. Um, and, and, um, and I've learned that you know, every time you get promoted or change positions, uh, you know, I come to the conclusion that we're all faking it, man. <laughs> yeah, we're doing the best we can, but we're faking it. Yeah. Um, I heard uh, I heard a great interview with uh, Barack Obama the other day, and he said, "It's funny." He said, 
you know, I was a community organizer in Chicago and you'd be like, man, that alderman, he's a knucklehead. Can't stand that guy. And then you become, you know, whatever, senator. And you're like, that senator, he's a knucklehead. Can't stand him. They become president. You're like, that prime minister, he's a knucklehead. I can't. He goes, they're the same people as you were dealing with at every level you're at. There's always that idiot around you yeah. from president to community organizer. And I was like, what a great analogy, but so much truth. Um, you know, whether you're the grad assistant strength coach saying, oh, I got to deal with these people. I can't wait to move up and I won't deal with that. You will. Those same people are going to be there. There's going to be different types of that same person. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, um, you know, I'm very, I've, my boss is my age. Um, my boss is a, uh, a, basically a commercial real estate guy who just, he, he likes to train, which is a good thing. But um, he's extremely supportive. And I even said, when they hired me, I remember they, they said to me, you know why we hired you? The thing that really um, drew us to you? I said, what? And they said, the trust and respect thing. You know, you kept going back then. I was like, what's my kind of mantra? Um, and they said, that's what we want here. We want people that trust and respect each other, work well with each other, build a good community. And I was like, well, I mean, that's easy. And to me, um, I, I met with the staff about, I guess it was about two or three weeks before the shutdown. And we were just going over some things. I said, guys, I want to remind you of all of something here. Um, the first question we ask ourselves before we do anything is, is it the right thing to do? Yes or no? If the answer is no, let's really re let's ask why we're doing it. And I'm not saying there's never a reason to do something, not the right thing to do, but we have to do it right now. You know, there's ethical dilemmas. I get that. Second question, is it good for business? They're not mutually exclusive, but I do think ranking those questions. First, ask yourself, I'm going to do A. Is it the right thing to do? The answer is no. Well, we're probably not doing it. Is it good for business? Maybe. We're definitely not doing it. Right. But if the answer is it's the right thing to do, yes. Is it good for business? I don't know. Still do it. I would rather do the right thing. And I think, you know, again, part of it, like a Dave Tate thing where it's, you know, Dave built a business off of giving away free information. You know, um, if you took that test and said, was the Q&A and the logs? And I mean, I go back to Q&A when it was Danny Blankenship and Bob Youngs and those guys. And it was the right thing to do. Absolutely. Was it good for business? I don't know. I mean, how, it's not drawn any, people weren't buying racks off of Elite FTS back then. Right. Um, but you know what? Because it was the right thing to do and you kept doing it you build a culture, you build an environment that people want to be a part of and want to be around. And I think that's what drew him to success. Um, and that, that's, you know, what we try to do. So when I'm looking for people, that's what I'm looking for. You know, those people that want to do the right thing, want to have fun, want to succeed, um, honestly, and don't take themselves too seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely know from the business side of things that is it the right thing is it's probably the question that me and my wife talk about the most um as well when we have to try to make decisions and we've even had like an idea pop up and then she's like you know what that just doesn't sit well with me like it, that might be able to churn some revenue but that, that just doesn't sit well and then we're like you know what that that doesn't really sit well like that some the the competitor or gym in town might do that but that doesn't sit well with our our moral values of what we and, and let me ask this how many times because I've had this conversation with my boss where I'm like, I, I want to, you know, we're still doing our expansion. 
I said, I would like in our newsletter to put that out there. Hey, we're still doing our expansion, but at the same time, people are losing their jobs. Yeah. You know, and some people are saying, hey, how can I help out the gym? And I don't want to say, hey, look, we're still spending, you know, it, it, that was a bit of an ethical dilemma for me. So I think, you know, my, you know, I, I'm willing to wager you've had a lot of those in the last month. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even with the safety of like, we shut down on May or March 14th. So we were about two or three days ahead of most gyms. Uh, I mean, I remember the conversation with my boss. I'm like, it was like watching a tidal wave come. You know, if you remember like, this is happening, this is that. And I, and I remember that week, I think it was like Tuesday, I said, we're going to shut down. It's going to happen. And, and me and my boss had a conversation. I said, Saturday, I, we were talking. And I said, I think we need to pull the plug. And he said, well, you won't wait till Monday. And I said, no. And he's like, you sure? And I said, why? Let's, let's just pull the plug. Let's do it. And I'm glad we did. Um, and there was a couple of reasons. One, I thought it was the right thing to do. Two, you know, business-wise, go to the business question. Imagine, I kept making this joke that imagine being ground zero of an outbreak of anything. You know, and it's like, like we're all windows. So I had this image of the news being out there. Like, Here we are, ground zero of the pandemic breakout in the Pittsburgh region. And what are the people locked in doing? They're bench pressing. <laughs> like we, you know, like well, we had the benches and we're locked here. What do we? What, I guarantee you'd bench, um, you know. Uh, so, like, I think when you look at it, you have these ethical things, and you just you go with. Like I said, we're all faking it. You know, me and my boss were having a conversation that Saturday, and I wasn't even in the gym. I'm having a conversation with my boss, and I'm like texting the guy working. I was like, "Hey, man, FYI, we may be shutting down." I don't know. Don't say anything right now, but you know, here's what our plan of action if this occurs. And then I'm back to my boss and back to, you know, so I think, so this has taught me a lot. Yeah. That, um, the, the whole COVID thing has probably had a lot of people asking that questions in terms of like, is it the right thing to do? And, um, we, we kind of gave the option to our, our parents, and our, our members, like if you, if you want to stay on our payroll, uh, in, in terms of payments, please do. We appreciate it. We're going to give you those sessions at the end of the day. So don't think we're just taking your, your money and running with it. You know, we're mm -hmm. going to give you that. If you want to cancel or put your hold on payments again, we don't mind doing that. Just let us know so we can do it. And then we had some people that end up letting their payments go through and then they're like, ah, I changed my mind. Uh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I want a refund. And I, and I, and that was one of those things where I was like, you know, from a paperwork standpoint, a business standpoint, it says, we should keep that money. We gave them the opportunity to, to cancel we everything. We a lot of that too. And, and then they, you can kind of essentially say, nah, they back out on it. And I, I told Adrian, I said, you know what, if that happens, I'm just going to refund their money. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to say, you know what, I totally understand. You kind of were wishful thinking this was going to be a three or four week thing. Ends up being eight, nine weeks, you know, a couple payments go through. I don't know how that person is being affected by this current situation for their household. It could be money's really tight right now, or it could just be, you know, they're like, I don't just really see the value in pumping money into something. I'm not getting anything back in return yeah. from at this given time. Um, and, and, you know, they didn't even know, we didn't know how long it's going to go. We're, we're very fortunate in Indiana that we get a little bit of a leg up compared to other States, but um, you know, this, there's other States right now where, it's going to be June, July, and they, they're kind of in that indefinite zone. And so I kind of understood, I said, you know, I'm just going to give them their money back. 
we just cross, we cross, you know, we still send them a thank you card. Thanks for your time. We appreciate your business. And we just cross our fingers that two or three months later down the road, they say, you know Come what, that, they, they did the right thing. They helped us out. I'm ready to get back in shape and, and kind of tackle this again. I, I'm going to give them another go. I think I kind of deserve to do that. They were nice to me. I can give that back. And we just kind of cross our fingers and cross that bridge. When it comes, if they to, don't come back, there's nothing we can do about it. it that's, that, as a business owner, that's been one of the hardest things. It's harder for me to say. I don't like losing at anything. And watching someone say they don't want to be part of my culture, it, it, the very first couple times that happened, that really hurt me deep down. I was like, man, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Sometimes we just don't do anything wrong. We just, you can't please everybody. And that, that has been a big learning curve for me the past couple of years. Well, I'm going to try to get you some free advertising here when this comes out because – uh, fun fact, I trained Miss Indiana. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, she was a volleyball player at G-Dub. Oh, cool. Uh, and nice kid, uh, Letty. So when this comes out, I'll make sure I tag her, and uh, maybe we can get her to show up at your gym sometime. Cool, yeah. Yeah, she's a nice, nice girl. How, you know, good volleyball, college volleyball player, good, good volleyball player. She's about, you know, 6'2". Yeah. Um, I don't think she's strong anymore. She's too busy modeling, but, you know. <laughs> Um, so I guess, uh, kind of circle back to the collegiate thing. Cause I got just a couple more questions for you. Yeah. When it comes to, uh, when you came to training your kids, everyone talks about, um, coaching philosophy in terms of the X's though, and how do you go about looking at what you want to do from your program? I know you said the first thing I think is really good program to your facility. Um, absolutely. We, that's the biggest thing we have to let our interns know too, is that, you know, we might superset something. It may not be the best superset, but if they're doing something already at that particular station, it's really easy just to do something at that same spot. Yep. So they're not running halfway across the gym to do something that would look a little bit or what you would learn to be more efficient from a training perspective. That's not necessarily realistic with the training space we have. Go ahead and talk about your, what else you kind of do from an X's and O's standpoint um, with your, your athletes as a whole. And I mean, I mean, my, my, my programming was pretty simple in the sense that, uh, first and foremost was, you know, I, I always looked at programming saying big to small, fast to slow. Uh, after that surf the curve, look at force velocity curve and surf it, go from, you know, your, your max lifts, your speed lifts. And when people get in the debate about Olympic lifts versus power lifts versus whatever, like I, 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 I just get frustrated because if you can teach a good Olympic lift and you want to utilize it, sure. It's part, look at the force velocity curve and that fits right here. And uh, a speed box squat fits right here. I remember I was speaking at a, a clinic at Akron and I could hear my phone going nuts. And I was like, what's going on? And that was the day that Joe Ken was speaking at the elite uh, seminar, the uh, sports performance one. And he started out, I guess his first slide was a quote by me where I said, uh, I said, you know, um, any, any lift can be done explosively, which buddy always says. And then my addition to it is, but Olympic lifts must be done explosively. And, and it's always why I kind of liked Olympic lifts because you've seen people do a box squat West side style and not be explosive at all. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're doing a snatch, you really don't have much of a choice, but to be explosive. Um, so when I was training my athletes, my program was pretty simple. We were going to jump. We were going to throw something. We were going to do some version of Olympic lift most days where I did various, you would say like a football player, I wouldn't uh, require my uh, linemen to catch Olympic lifts in season. First off, they weren't that good at it in the off season. 
And then the amount of abuse their shoulders, wrists, and elbows take, it's just, I don't see why I would put more stress. Now, I did have some kids that were freaks. Well, come be a coach, I'm good. Can I do it? Yeah, sure. Um, but I did like, you know, the clean poles, uh, snatch grip poles, uh, high poles, all the variations using that. Um, I stole a lot from um, West Side at Robert Morris. We didn't keep our football guys in the summer. So here's something I did that was a little different. Um, we would box squat, basically only box squat up until our bye week. And then our bye week, we would squat again. And it would be something like 10 singles at 50%. So absurdly light and easy. Because what, it, and you know, if you, it, we've all made the mistake of box squatting too much. And then you go back to a free squat and you're like, dear God, I'm so sore. Yeah. Once you get that react, re, bring that reactivity back to a squat, it's like doing plyometrics compared to a box squat. So I knew I didn't have my guys all summer. I knew they weren't squatting as much as I wanted. I knew that they were coming to camp where stressors are going to be higher, where you have all these new, new, you know, all this new input to the athlete. Um, I don't want to squat them, make their hamstrings sore, make their legs beat up, and then have an injury. So I would box squat, box squat, box squat, box squat. Then I would take that bye week and use that as an opportunity to reintroduce a free squat, a back squat, whatever you want to call it. Um, don't ever say back squat to JL. Just <laughs> Say it to him one time, see what happens. Um, <laughs> then I would reintroduce the squat. And like I said, it'd be something simple, but they would be sore just because of that reactivity. Um, and then I would have the option, depending on where we were at, where sometimes we'd return to the box squat, sometimes we'd stay with the free squat for the rest of the season. But, um, you know, again, it was something that worked at Robert Morris, which, you know, is not something I necessarily would do if I was a strength coach at Akron, where they have everyone all summer. So they know what they've been doing. I might, excuse me, keep my athletes squatting through camp. I, I don't know. Um, you know, a few years back, Buddy Morris had a thing where he said, you know, I would never squat my football players during camp. I mean, he was talking about NFL players, you know, who are also already very strong individuals, already fully matured individuals, um, also aging individuals, you know. I think some strength coaches took that and said, yeah, that's right. We're, we don't need to squat during camp or we don't need to squat. And I, I disagree with that statement. I think that worked for Buddy at where Buddy was at. Yeah. Um, if you're at Robert Morris and you have an 18-year-old kid come in, you have to teach him how to squat because you need to get him stronger in the next four years. Yeah. So we're going to squat. So I think, again, you have to look up what's specific. But for, for us, it was keep it simple, stupid. Uh, and I still get texts from former interns and GAs like, man, I sh should have listened. I was trying to overcomplicate things because I'm convinced that as, as strength professionals, we agree on 90% of things. Yep. You know, progressive overload works. We know that. Specific adaptation to impose demands. Make sure it's specific to what you're doing and it will work. Um, you know, people, the debates that I see happen are absurd. You know, it's over front squat or back squat. I don't care. You know, which one gets your athlete stronger? Which one works for you? Um, I like both, you know, front squat, you're going to get deeper, but you're also not going to handle the load. Um, high bar versus low bar. I quit teaching that to my athletes a long time ago because some athletes are never going to get into a comfortable low bar position and some are never going to get in a comfortable high bar. position. I, I actually, there was a, a young lady came and trained at our gym, very good power lifter. Um, she has squatted five twenty-five raw. Wow. Um, she's out of Ohio and she's in her twenties 
Uh, and she had an Instagram video of her squatting, I think, last week. And, man, she was one of these people with her elbows real tight. And I just got, I just messaged her. I said, hey, just just question. I said, have you ever tried to widen your hands? Because you could see her chest was just dumping a little. I didn't, it looked like her back wasn't as tight as it could have been. It was a head-on views. And I, just, I, I didn't say, get your hands wider. I said, have you ever? And she said, yeah, I have. And every time I do, I feel looser. And it, you know, it's just not successful for me. And I said, oh, all right, you know. And I said, why do you ask? And I said, well, it seemed to me your back wasn't tight, but obviously what you're doing is working for you. So I just, you know, just a thought. And we actually had a conversation basically about the fact that she's really successful. I wasn't telling her to do something. I was saying, hey, this might be a thought. She had a good reason why she did what she did. And I was like, cool, keep doing it. And I think so much it's like, people, oh, she's, she's an idiot. Why doesn't she get her hands wider? Well, she helps watch you, man. Shut up. <laughs> like, like, she, she's 30 pounds lighter than you and I'll squat you, man. Like maybe you should just keep your mouth shut on that one. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think as coaches, a lot of times we get that, like what's right, what's wrong. I don't know what's right. Yeah. It, yeah. Contact is everything with the, with buddy Morris. I know that um, I've also, I, I think I've heard him speak about that too. And uh, the, the other thing that, um, about that is that he's working with guys that are literally worth millions of dollars per season and not that a kid's you know well-being isn't isn't worthwhile because it absolutely is but that's one other big training consideration you have to weigh you know is it yeah. is it worth taking a NFL wide receiver that can squat 550 to 600 uh, for a couple million dollars probably not probably yeah, not. It's, we it's, can probably you know, get better another way yeah what's a return on your investment right there I, I always yeah, I say something strength coach or terrible is looking at return on investment. You know, is it worth spending? And this is why I, I'll say I've come to the conclusion in my life that I'm a really good B student. Um, to become a B student, you know, you can put in a good amount of work, still enjoy it, be pretty healthy and have some fun. To be an A student, you need to commit 100% to what you do. You know, to be, um, I loved when I did my talk with Ed Cohn, I said, what made you, you just stopped. Like you went from the best to done. And, um, you know, he, he talked about his injuries and he said, I didn't want to compete unless I was at my absolute best. And how many people can truly walk away from anything, you know, and say, I only want to be here and that's the level I want to be. And I won't show up if I'm not, you know, I'm not competing now. And there's nothing wrong because I'll probably compete again. Yep. Um, but it'll be for, I was actually supposed to compete at the end of March. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see how, you know, obviously that didn't happen. We'll see if something else happens in the future. But, um, but I think knowing what your ultimate goals are knowing what your investment level is, is the key to it all. Yeah. Um, so I got another good question for you here. Um, anybody that knows you knows that you read a ton, you read a big variety of books. Um, I, I too, I would definitely don't read to your level by any means, but I try to read a little bit. I'm older. I'm older. <laughs> I, I read a little bit of different things every now and then, especially now from being a gym owner. I've, I've got to broaden my horizons a little bit outside of um, strength and speed, so to speak. So I've got to read some business and communication uh, things. What um, if, if you had to pick three books that you would recommend on any given topic that you're like, hey, if there's, if there's three books I had to put in my backpack, um, that I keep for me the rest of my life, what would those three books be? Um, there's a book called To the Last Breath by uh, Slackley, Professor Georgetown. He, um, 
he climbed the highest peak on each continent uh, while also stopping to surf in every ocean. Um, and the interesting part is he learned a lot. Um, he was a professor of like, I forget, math or physics or calculus or something. And he said he picked that because he, there was no emotional connection. There was a right answer. It was a wrong answer. It was scientific. He said, I never wanted to be involved with the students. I just wanted to teach the science. And that was it. And by the end of it, he learned the humanity of it, um, how making an impact and how it changed his life. And he um, became a new person because of it. And um, to the last breath, really enjoyed that book. Um, there's a book, very underrated book. You know, it's funny. You always hear people say like, what books are you reading in everyone? E-Myth Mastery or, you know, or E-Myth Revisit or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's kind of those 10. There's, you know, David and Goliath. Um, one of the underrated ones that kind of run in that vein is um, a book, Sway, the Irresistible Pull of Irrational Behavior. I have that actually uh, on my nightstand as my next book to read now that you mentioned that. I just like it because to me, and I don't want to ruin it for you, but what I got out of it was um, know your investments stop investing in something if it's not working out for you. Um, it, you know, to me, and, and I don't remember, I read that years ago, but it still haunts me to say when something is going wrong, it's not quitting to walk away. It's cutting your losses. Yeah. You know, know when to cut your losses and walk away. And that's what I took from that book. And I, I think that is an absurdly underrated book. Um, just because like I said, people keep, banging her head against the wall, doing the same thing. It's like, stop, just find a different path, find a different way to get there. Um, the third book, I mean, I, I do really like uh, David Goliath or uh, uh, what's his name? Um, that wrote, you know, wrote uh, Blink, or not Blink. Um, I, uh, I can't Outliers. Think Outliers, yeah. Yep. Um, Malcolm Gladwell. I do enjoy his books. He is a little... Um, you know, a little questionable on the science. You know, there's times he says things and it's like, well, that's not really scientifically true, but I think he makes his point. He gets them across and they're easy to read. Yes. Um, one of the big things for me is when I don't care what people read, A, make sure it interests you and B, make sure it changes you because um, any book to me can be a book about coaching, can be a book about leadership business if read the right way. Um, because you can learn something you, to me, it's just parables. You know, Brian Mann is better at this than I am, but he talks about, you know, be really good at telling your story, be really good at telling parables because people will remember those stories. They'll remember those parables. And, um, and so to me, you know, don't be afraid of fiction, nonfiction, you know, run the gamut in what you read. I'm going to walk you in to my library right now because we're close to it. Um, so since, uh, since we've been on break, if you can see this, these, I've read this. Wow. That's what I've done. Um, the Steve Jobs one I haven't read yet, but uh, this is one of my bookshelves. This one's a double bookshelf that's two, two books deep the whole way up and down. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm just looking. There's so many... <clears throat> you know, great books that have different lessons in them. And it, I don't think, I think people think you have to read the leadership book. I'm not a big fan of the leadership quote unquote books. Um, I think they're great at a certain age. And then I just, <clears throat> I think you get to a point where you're better off getting more of a story based lesson. Yeah. 
so so I, you know i think you have to evolve let your reading evolve as well yeah um and then the i, I it's funny you talked about the sway because i've i'm reading a nsca book i try to bounce between um something that is directly educational to what i do so usually that's something like strength and conditioning related or mm-hmm. actually coaching related like how's it going to make me better on the floor and then i swap that out with um something that's usually going to try to affect how i am more so as a person or the way i think about anything anywhere in life not necessarily my my business or my gym yeah. way i have two i go from because i'm not gonna lie the, the nsca book that i'm reading on um speed and agility some of it's rehashed for me that i'm like okay i already know all this but then i'm picking up new drills that i might be able to use with my kids but that it reads like a textbook and it, it kind of drags as you get towards the end you're like man this book just needs to end now okay i got the point of what i need to work on uh, I've highlighted some drills or some things that I can refresh myself and use as a resource when I'm I'm doing programs, and then it gets me into that. Like you said, when I want hopefully to Sway, Sway will get you out of that. Sway, so I really that was like I don't know what it was about that book, um, and and honestly, I can't even remember. You know, I remember certain stories from the book because the I think it's two authors with that book, and I can't remember who they are, but um, you know, they used real. They, here's an example of someone who continued to do the wrong thing and here was the outcome. Um, and the, I do remember the one story about a, a plane incident. Um, and you'll, you'll realize it when you get to it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just kept like, there were so many things in that book. I'm like, man, why was I continuing to go down this route? Why was I continuing to commit my time and invest in myself on A when A was never going to take me anywhere? You know, I needed to be over here. And, yeah. and I think that's, that, that, that's a huge reminder for people. Yeah. Okay. So the, the last question I got for you is um, since you've been in coaching and you're now with um, union fitness and you know, you obviously got a family and everything. If there was one thing you could go back and tell the young Todd hammer as he was getting going in strength and conditioning, what would be that, that one thing you'd go back and tell yourself um, to kind of either help you either now in the future or, you know, back that you made a huge mistake um, that probably could have easily been avoidable with either a better decision or better critical thinking skills or anything like that. I, I think you just said it, critical thinking skills um, that, uh, t- you know, take nothing personal. Um, I think as young coaches, it, it becomes a war that you're trying to win and it becomes a personal war for you. And um, you know what? You actually could not insult me. Um, you could try. <laughs> I wouldn't care um, it, because after 20 years of college coaching, I've had days where I've had students come in, hug me and say, um, you know, you've changed my life. Um, there is no, I, I had an athlete who I haven't seen in eight years and she tweeted something and I said, you're awesome. Keep doing what you do. And she tweeted back and said, hammer, there's not a day that goes by. I don't remember a lesson you taught me. That's awesome. But you know what? I've also had athletes come in and be like, you're a joke. You're a terrible coach. You don't know what the hell you're doing. So you know, don't let your highs get too high. Don't let your lows get too low because we will make impacts. But, you know, the more I think about the career, the kids who I impacted were ready to be impacted. And I've said this, I'll say this one. Here's something I've said a thousand times, but I truly do believe it. Um, you can only coach a kid who's ready to be coached. So really it's a credit to them when you succeed. 
because they have trusted you and opened themselves up to you. Um, now you may have been an impotence to that you or impetus to that. You may have assisted in that. But at the end of the day, if they stay shut down, you can't coach them. And that's nothing personal. Um, so it's really when you're when you look good as a coach, you better credit that kid for opening themselves up. And 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 so to me, it's not personal. The kid who opens themselves up, that's a good kid who was gonna probably open themselves up to yourself, to me to Casey, to anyone that walked through the door. Um, the kid who shut down, keep trying. You might reach him, but that's, you know, it's not personal. The kid has some issues, um, and you might be able to get through to him. I hope you can. Um, and, but if you can't, it's still nothing personal. Yeah. Um, just do the best you can. So I, I think immaturity at times led me as a coach where I would get angry at a kid, I'd get angry at a coach, I'd get angry at an administrator, an athletic trainer. And it's like, why am I getting angry? You know, I, I don't, you know, and listen, there's bad people in the world. Yeah. As my dad would always call them knuckleheads in the world. Yep. Um, I can't control them. So what? Let them be knuckleheads. Uh, I believe in karma. It'll be all right. All right. Well, that's really good. Um, Todd, I, I appreciate your time. You had a lot of good stuff in there. Um, I'll make Thanks, sure brother. that I kind of link those books that you listed on there. Um, and I'll have some of your information in case if anyone ever, want to get to hold of you. Um, if people are in the Pittsburgh area, I hope I, I definitely recommend union fitness. It's one of mine and my wife's goals to get out there, um, to, to see union fitness and then see you. Um, Jessica is also a really great person. I know she trains there out of union. She's texting me right now. She's um, being a pain in my ass. <laughs> uh, she, she sent us whenever my wife was going through her cancer stuff. She, um, sent us some cards and stuff. So, um, we've kind of got to know Jessica a little bit better um, through that experience. And so you got some really good people over there where you're at in Pittsburgh. So um, I definitely appreciate your time. Um, I'm taking a picture to... right now for Jesse. <laughs> all right. Um, but yeah, I appreciate your time and your insight and um, all your articles and stuff you have on Elite. You, you put out a lot of good information. Um, anybody's crazy if they don't listen to what you have to say, in my opinion. So uh, thanks, Todd. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Take care of yourself. Take care of the family and uh, give everyone in the entire state a hug for me. All right. I will do. <laughs> Thanks, right, brother. Take care. Thanks for listening to Thirst for More podcast. Give us a follow on Spotify, iTunes, Google, and other streaming services. Feel free to visit our website, thirstgym.com. That's T-H-I-R-S-T-G-Y-M.com. And click on the podcast tab to look over show notes and extra free resources. You can also give us a follow on Instagram at Team Thirst. That's T-E-A-M period T-H-I-R-S-T. Or you can give me a follow at B Smitley. That's B-S-M-I-T-L-E-Y. For more updates on future episodes to come, I'm your host, Brandon Smitley, and we'll catch you at the next episode.